there's um, a term that I've come across called economic dignity. And I think everyone really aspires to being able to provide for themselves and also to have a purpose in the community that they're in. And this is a great way of achieving both, um, that you can have an income, you can have, you can have economic dignity uh, running your own small business, and by by linking up with other family carers and, and, and the people that they're the caring, you, mm. you build a community and you build a sense of purpose that you're actually caring for others in the community, you're getting paid for it. Uh, and you've got um, the socialisation aspects of linking up with other carers and um, doing things together as groups. Hello, my name is Matthew Sortino and welcome to Moments of Clarity. Something a little different for you in this episode... Today I'm speaking to two guests, Liam and Amanda McFadden. Liam and Amanda are a husband and wife team that have recently started their own business and social enterprise, CLAN. CLAN's social enterprise mission is to support communities by empowering families to receive or provide quality, life-being-at-family care for children, the elderly and people with a disability. They provide information, upskilling induction programs, pathways to higher qualifications and micro-business employment opportunities, putting people before profit, effectively re-villaging our society where families care for families again. Life Being at Family Care works with individuals, families and communities to increase well-being, build strengths and encourage optimism for a better life. Clan began in Victoria supporting informal family carers to set up new micro-businesses starting with family care for children where the focus is on providing more flexible quality care, building better brains and healthy bodies. They expanded to include non-clinical family care for the elderly and those with a disability in November 2020 nationally. I was really excited to talk to Liam and Amanda McFadden about the idea of it takes a village. I really truly believe that we've got to move away from this individual lifestyle and move towards a more equitable and village approach to tackling the needs that our society has. My apologies for some of the poor quality of the audio today. Technology is not always our friend. I learned a lot from this conversation, and I know you will too. If you are interested in finding out more about CLAN, visit clan.com.au. And now without further delay, I bring you Liam and Amanda McFadden. Liam and Amanda, welcome to Moments of Clarity. Thanks, Thank you, Matthew. Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's my first time having two people on um, the podcast as guests at the same time, so it's a, a great thrill for me. So uh, to get started then, one at a time, I'll get you to maybe introduce yourselves, uh, your professional lives, or maybe a couple of things from your, your personal journey that I guess have shaped where you are today. As you can probably tell from the accents, uh, I'm originally from Ireland, Came here in 91 and joined a UK-based company called Circle. And I was very fortunate uh, that for 12 years I managed to travel around Asia Pacific and the US and back home to Europe, um, working on major bids and tenders, which is uh, responding to tender opportunities issued by government. Uh, But I've always wanted to have my own business, Matthew, and my first foray into business was when my father died at age 16. Uh, and he left us with um, a family business, which was a pub and petrol station. So off I went to uh, summer uh, jobs at an accountant's firm, followed by courses and business studies. And as I learned more about business, I was able to impl- implement it at home, uh, which was great uh, fun and a very good uh, uh, interest for me. And after my career working in the corporate sector, um, where my background is largely finance and commercial, I decided to go into business for myself and 
bought into a series of ventures, um, some of which worked, some of which didn't. Um, but probably the most fun was fun one was with my midlife crisis going up to Hong Kong, uh, where I ended up buying the largest sailing wooden junk in the city. It was called the One, and the idea was to lease it out to a restaurant in the evenings and weekends, where um, they would give them extra space to put guests to have dinner, uh, and also to lease that to Euro Disney to pick up and drop off passengers from around the city. So the restaurant venture worked, the Euro Disney one didn't. Uh, and after 18 months, uh, I sold out of that. But it was probably the most fun business that I've had uh, before coming back and listening to Amanda to try and do something with a bit of social purpose. Um, and uh, that's got us into clown. Oh, brilliant. And and what about you, Amanda? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not... I don't have as much to say as what Liam has had. So I'm, uh, my background is uh, childcare and social work and Liam's is business, so that's how we came to to build Clan with, with uh, together, together yeah. building both those. That That's my little story <laughs> for now, I think. Yeah, so <laughs> Liam, you, you said that you are, you know, you went into all these business ventures, you know, you, it was fun, it was a... Uh, about opportunity and building, I guess, your own skills as well as a business itself, and then you decided to come back, come to Australia and and do something with social purpose. Was that completely Amanda's idea or was that something that you had in mind, you know, originally as well? What was the journey to become more socially minded, I guess? There, there was a bit of a journey, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, we, we probably Amanda can tell the story about why we originally got into it, but at the mm. time we were living in... Uh, the Macedon Ranges, which was a regional area, uh, and we had a three-year-old child, um, little girl, and uh, we got to the point in our lives where we suddenly needed childcare. And yeah, what happened? Well, we we liked informal childcare. We 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 looked at formal and found it very inflexible. We didn't we didn't have any choice as to who looked after her, and so we looked at informal and all. We, we could find was the local council could find um, a family daycare, but it was a 40-minute drive and they, and they yeah, and they made the choices to who we used. So we start, we just used informal neighbours, friends. Family. And, and, and <clears throat> Liam then discovered that there was an awful lot of informal carers that aren't supported, yeah. which is really where we started with CLAN. So, yeah, so it was very flexible for us. It was affordable using, fam, you know, family, friends, neighbours. But we did worry that um, Alice was missing out on things like socialising with other children and also the early learning programmes that the formal care options offered. What we were doing is Amanda was sitting at home one night and we used to run a... I used to run a, a yeah, a, a bed and breakfast. A Airbnb. Airbnb, yeah. And I thought, well, why can't it be the same? Why can't carers, so, well, families select carers the same way that Airbnb, you do find accommodation. So why, yeah, why can't we look up and look at the profile of the care and look mm, at the pictures and pictures, you know, photographs, skills. make sure that they're all properly safe and vetted, they have the police checks, they have the working with children checks, that um, you know, they're a safe care of hands. But we pick the person that we want to care. Uh, and so we started researching on it, um, mm. like an Airbnb for childcare was our first thought. And just not leaving it up to big business yeah, and um, government. What we, what we realised is that uh, in Australia, uh, while there's 1.6 million children in 
uh, form of care, one form of regulated care, whether it's childcare centres, kindergartens, family daycare, uh, childcare centres. That, that's 1.6 million children are in, in that type of care. But oh, what a lot okay. of people, formal care, mm. but what a lot of people don't realise is that there's an additional 1 million children, like our, like our little girl, who were using informal care options because for one reason or another, um, the formal care options didn't suit them or weren't accessible. Uh, and that was like our situation, a 45-minute drive to and from to pick up and drop off. We just couldn't yeah. do it with one car and maintain working uh, commitments. So there's um, there's all those uh, kind of issues that uh, we, we kind of... Mm, and there's a lot of diverse cultural yeah. groups that don't access formal care that, that, that would really like to use their own communities. Yeah, cultural reasons, religious reasons, yeah. uh, depending on their visa status. There's a lot of people in Australia that don't qualify for a childcare subsidy. And these days, um, both parents have to be actively working or looking for work to qualify for the subsidy. So that doesn't suit a lot of family arrangements. So there's, a, a, there's, you know, that, that informal care sector is, is growing. In particular now with COVID, mm. uh, that changed the picture considerably as well. That yeah. Now there's the risk of the big, bigger centres with, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 children in it. Um, staff. And mm. staff um, becomes less reliable depending on whether or not a child or staff member becomes sick and uh, it can create all kinds of chaos um, if it has to close down suddenly. Uh, not reopen again for a period of time. So we think that the the options for home-based care are going to become uh, more popular again. But again, in part of the journey, when we realised what it is we wanted to do, we spent quite a bit of time designing the blueprint for it. It had to be safe. Our metric was that um, we would create something that we would be happy to put our child into. So regardless of where we were in Australia, if they were at Plan family care, we would drop them off without hesitation because we knew that they were going to be a safe pair of hands. We also wanted to equip all of our carers with resources for learning and with other things that they're passionate about. So some carers might be very passionate about teaching mm. uh, a second language or teaching English to foreign. Or martial or, arts. Or... Yeah, we've even got one that's mm-hmm. offering to teach karate, self-defense. Oh, uh, wow, yeah. Uh, music is another one, and tutoring. Uh, you, you think about all the kids that are falling behind from with COVID, with COVID and homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Some families have managed it uh, better than others, uh, depending on the circumstances. But having casual relief teachers, for example, going into a home to provide care plus learning outcomes, uh, uh, you know, to help them catch up on the areas that they've fallen behind in. There's all of those types of opportunities that uh, mm. time family cares. And it's really communities supporting each other. That's yeah, really... and that's the grassroots of it. Yeah, it's, um, it it's is. taking people uh, who are already providing this type of informal care, uh, giving them some basic training uh, so that there's a, a safe minimum standard and equipping them to be able to provide care plus something and higher standard. To do what they're care. already doing, yeah. to make it a real business, to, to do what they're already doing and look after other people in, in, the communi- in their community. So a grandparent, for example, looking after a grandchild, um, they're going to be doing that every day anyway, uh, so they could open the doors to three other children. So they're caring for four, and sometimes caring for four is easier than caring for one because they entertain each other and, and they, they work with money. each other. And they can make some money. Indeed. Pensioners now can earn up to, I think it's $11,000 approximately per annum without mm. affecting their pension. Yeah. Uh, so it gives gives people a good opportunity to do things like that. So in terms of our journey, environmental we a social enterprise? Well, we looked at um, for-profit, we looked at not-for-profit, we looked at um, charitable type organisations and so on. 
I remember going to a seminar once on social enterprises and there was a panel of speakers and one of them was a Scotsman who had a business um, setting up to assist people coming out of um, prisons to be reintegrated back into the community through having some employment opportunities. That was, that was his thing. Uh, and he got a lot of criticism about why he was set up as a for-profit uh, company, even describing himself as a social enterprise. In people's minds, there's only two things. There's either for-profit or there's not-for-profit. Yeah. Um, but his response was that, um, well, no, don't judge him on the fact that he actually makes a profit. Judge him on how he uses that profit uh, to build his business and to help others. Uh, and he made the statement, it's hard to help a lot of people if you're poor. And I think that's a, a great statement mm. to have. And not-for-profits tend to be limited on the talent they can attract and on the uh, funds that they can raise. Um, mm. Whereas if you're a social enterprise, uh, you can benefit both from um, going for for-profit investors uh, as well as uh, some of the uh, social enterprise philanthropic uh, donors uh, and other grants that might be available. So you increase your funding pool, mm. uh, which allows you to help more people. That the, the journey there, as well as a lot of the problems that face people looking to either find someone to care for a child in this case or even to find out how they can access um, training because I guess it would be really hard for a grandparent or uh, someone that doesn't have kids or hasn't raised kids themselves to then be asked, can you do this job for a day, two days, three days a week? What does Clan do then to, you know, found a problem, I guess? There was a gap. I know that Clan is working to, towards actually providing a lot of the training and, and the, the tips and the, I guess, the know-how to actually make it just as rich in resources as the formal sector would be and maybe even better. Yeah, well, look, we actually have now introduced um, aged care and disability to the platform as well. but And all of those three services now, there is an induction program that people are off, will need to do unless they have a certificate three in aged care or disability or childcare or above or higher. Um, they, they do need to undertake the induction program, which is all done online, and that entails policies and procedures. It has several units of a small business units um, setting up your ABN. It's got safe, a safety program and of working with children checks, with police checks, first aid. All of these things are all done online in their own time. And these courses have been designed by uh, some partners of ours who are degree and diploma qualified in childcare, aged care, disability care. So they have all the right credentials to both develop the courses and to assess people as they go through the induction program. Um, to give them undeniable confidence that they are uh, the right people to be yeah. going live as the carers on our platform. We do need to ask people to do this induction for well, insurance reasons. Yes, where they, don't, where they don't have um, uh, the, the appropriate qualifications. And we spent quite a bit of time actually working out how we could get insurance for these people. And there was a fairly intensive process to go through with underwriters to satisfy them that what we were doing to vet people was equivalent to what the public, the formal care sector is. Uh, and they were quite happy with what we were, we were doing. And so we are able to uh, avail of very comprehensive and competitive insurance cover and for the family cares that, to, mm -hmm. that complete our yeah. process. 
And would these skills and, and qualifications, I guess, this induction be transferable down the track in other well, ways? Yeah, they, it's a professional development course. The induction program is a professional development course. So we did look at seeing whether it would qualify for recognised prior learning for people doing the uh, courses. But I think now uh, a lot of the institutions, whether they're RTOs or TIFs, actually charge you for going through that RPL process. So it's not really worth it. You know, it's a very cheap price to do our, our, our induction and probably cost them a lot more to get recognised prior learning for um, it. Um, so we don't see a lot of benefit in that. And really what we wanted to do was to make it as practical and hands-on as possible mm. and not be academic. So it had to be real-world, practical, uh, professional development yeah. stuff. Uh, but what we have done is partnered with GoTAFE, which is um, a very reputable TAFE that offers courses online. Uh, so on our platform, if somebody decides they really like being a family carer and they want to make a career of it, then they can actually uh, apply on our platform to do one of those courses, either Cert 3 in childcare, aged care, uh, or disability care. Or diploma. Or diploma. Yeah. Hi. Um, so they can do those. Um, and then they can earn and learn, you see, so they can then run yeah. a business and, and, and study That's as right. well. So a lot, of, a lot of international students mm. uh, like the model because uh, while they're studying, they're also eligible to work 20 hours a week, but it's very hard finding a job that okay. fits in around their course requirements. But being a clan carer, they can do that because they can set their availability as they as they choose. Uh, so, yeah, um, a lot of benefits, a lot of training pathways. And the third pillar was giving them resources. So, for example, our child or family carers for children can access a school bowl, which is um, a, a learning package that we use for their own daughter during homeschooling. And then mm. we would do all the mornings, mm. paper-based learning, and we would put her through school bowl in the afternoons, and she thrived on it. Mm. So that... That gives um, carers the opportunity to help minimise the risk of disadvantage mm -hmm. by ensuring that kids reliant on informal care um, are exposed to learning opportunities. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that there was a, a million students or children that were in informal care. What numbers are we talking about when we add in aged care and disability as well? Yes. In fact, um, we've got... We can ask this question a lot and... In particular, when we talk to potential partners, corporates and uh, local governments, we've actually created a page on our platform, clan.com.au forward slash community. Uh, and that was one of the things that we found when we did our own research and we wanted to, to know if you can navigate to that page and go down to the bottom of it, there's a button that takes you to a platform where you can um, look at your own council and you can go in and see the number of families in that council local government area providing informal childcare. And then you can go in and look at care, which is for, it's a combined aged care, disability care. And in almost every instance, the uh, number of informal cares for aged care and disability care uh, significantly exceeds the number of families providing informal childcare. Mm. So you can assume that mm, there's millions more. Mm. One of your pillars or statements or, you know, adages is it takes a village. And at the moment there are, I guess, limited amount of people uh, in families that we can access. We're constantly more isolated and individual as a society and yet still people are trying to, you know, find where they can someone to, you know, take a day off or, or do something to, to care for someone that really needs that care 
and and those avenues are more and more difficult. So that idea of community and bringing communities together really does follow that adage, doesn't it? Absolutely. <clears throat> yep. Um, we've, that's something we felt quite strongly about from the very beginning. It takes a village, and we actually used that term quite a lot when we first started and got advised that not everyone in Australia knows what a village is. So we ended up saying it takes a community, but uh, we've gone back to village. our roots and just said, but no, it takes a, it takes a village. Most people know it. Yeah, I, I think they do. Yeah. Um, and, and it really does, and I think... COVID is kind of forcing us back into that anyway. Into that um, village. Where we, we have to go back into this smaller village. Um, uh, with masks demographic. on. Yeah, <laughs> with masks on. <laughs> um, and look, I, I think there's a lot of people in the community anyway, as I said, that are providing this type of informal care. Um, they're being relied upon more where the formal care services aren't able to uh, cater for it. Um, but a lot of these carers often tend to be invisible. Uh, they have limited job opportunities. Yeah. But... There, you know, we've spoken to some families where both parents are working and they've flown in a, a parent from overseas yeah. uh, who pretty much isolated at home, caring uh, caring mm. for the kids. Uh, they so just need that care. Yeah, mm. I mean, there's um, a term that I've come across called economic dignity. And I think everyone really aspires to being able to provide for themselves and also to have a purpose in the community that they're in. And this is a great way of achieving both, um, mm. that you can have an income, you can have, you can have economic dignity, uh, running your own small business, and by mm. by linking up with other family carers and and, and the people supporting that the caring, community, you mm. you build a community and you build a sense of purpose that you're actually caring for others in the community. You're getting paid for it, uh, and you've got um, socialisation aspects of linking up with other carers and um, doing things together as groups. Uh, so there's we see it as a lot of social and economic uh, benefit in that. And look, I, I think that brings us back yeah. to the story mm. that we probably have to tell, uh, which is uh, the runway story. And where we kind of lost interest. The runway story. That when, when we had our platform, we knew what it is we wanted to do. We set out with a purpose, which was to do some good in society. And then we got into what's called a startup accelerator program. That's, that's down here in Geelong, which mm. was um, you know, a terrific mm. opportunity for us. And we got a great amount of support at a very early stage around building the platform and refining it and to get surrounded by business mentors. And mm. it was a truly very valuable experience mm. for us. Yeah. But then we got to the point of having built the platform of then marketing and trying to sell it. Uh, and by this stage, we had left, um, we'd finished the accelerator and we'd moved on. We were kind of um, presence elsewhere. Uh, but we took all those lessons around, you know, selling a startup and looking at our competitors and other platforms that were out there matching people. And, and just having to be we, smarter yeah, we, spend more money, we, we, for, pockets. for about a year, we were down this path of, of trying to sell a platform. And uh, it was all about the technology. It was all about the platform. It was all about how it was better than all the other Smart platforms. And, social yeah, posts. And, you know, using yeah. social media and, and using click you know, sales funnels and click ads and all this other terminology. And uh, Amanda and I are both in our, our 50s now and, um, you know, it really wasn't us. And Amanda got disillusioned first uh, mm. and then probably three months later eventually sunk in with me as well. The path we were on was just wrong. And so we went for a walk on the beach one day and um, started talking about the purpose. The whole purpose that we started in the, the beginning purpose, yeah going back to you know why, why do we do it? the platform is a means to an end it's not an end in itself 
And so we, we needed to remember that. That's just a way of providing the service. Mm, and it's the just support. a way, yeah. yeah. And so for about a year, we kind of refocused back on the purpose behind the platform. We had the help of life be in it. We had the help of life be in it, who took us uh, under their wing. Yeah. Uh, and really got us back into focusing on families, which is really what it's all about. Yeah. And it's really supporting particularly those informal care families, the ones that give and receive informal care. And we had to become very much a client focused platform, not a service yeah. focused platform. So with the families very much in mind, that's why we now really use the platform to deliver the real purpose of CLAN, which is to help people set up a small business, help them operate a small business, create more economic dignity and help reduce the risk of disadvantage. Yeah, I can imagine um, in a marketing sense someone saying, let's say that purpose is our our main drive, but you you both became disillusioned, you know, yourselves. Like it wasn't, oh, we're going to do better off because we're going to focus on purpose and clients, but we really care about the, the product. It's actually, no, you know, we ourselves really wanted to make this our purpose and really, you know, be proud of this and, and really know that this is going to do some really great good in the world. Yeah. Some good, and that was more important than growing fast. So you know, we've, we've accepted now that we're going to have a slow growth trajectory. Investors probably wouldn't like it as much. Social enterprise investors would understand it better than us and a lot of others. So we've kind of cut ourselves off from a lot of potential investors. But there are others still out there who understand the importance of creating a social impact. And yeah, it might take us a bit longer to find them, but um, find them we will one day. Mm. <clears throat> and meanwhile, we just keep going. And there's a reason to get out of bed. We're doing something we kind of enjoy. Uh, we're talking to real people, uh, real families. And um, the response we're getting... Yeah, from... it, it's very positive. It's very positive. Yeah. Can you give a story of maybe one or two people that are involved in Clan at the moment and, you know, what their background was and, and what Clan has helped them achieve today, as well as maybe what you see as the, the ideal potential person to join Clan? We are a diverse team. Um, I think Ireland is represented, Australia is represented, uh, Russia is represented, Poland's represented, and India's yeah. represented. <laughs> so that's our team. There's yeah. uh, someone from each, each country that's been involved in, mm. in some way to mm. help us uh, get all of this set up. So it has been quite a diverse um, experience for them and given some of them good opportunities as well. But in terms of the, the people that typically follow us up and that well, there's, there's a real mixture of people. Yeah. I mean, a real mixture of people. There's there's qualified people, there's unqualified people, there's older people, younger people. And we post a blog, so you'll find it under our articles. There's like Pam's story and uh, stories of others. Um, so the, the story, the, the content in those blogs is real, but it's kind of it's it's they're not. They're, we're not using real people's names, but we're taking what they've told us and we've we've turned it into a blog to share the kind of, you know, the experience and the kind of people that, um, uh, you know, apply to us. Uh, so there's, you know, what we, the kind of people that we see it would be the grandparent looking after a grandchild who needs to increase their household income is a, is a very good candidate for us. Uh, there's young single mums who are struggling to find uh, work in a way that uh, they can balance with caring for their child alone. Uh, so this, again, uh, becomes an opportunity for them to give them something on their resume both training pathways as well as um, 
work experience opportunities. Um, there's others who work casual hours, um, who might be migrants and refugees. Uh, so they're over here, uh, they're in a community, they can't access any childcare subsidies, uh, and because they can't get care, good quality care for their kids, uh, they're choosing to stay at home instead of going out to work. Uh, so if you can take some of those people and turn them into family carers, looking after the children of others, then that releases up a lot of them to actually go and apply for jobs that they're eminently qualified to do uh, because they've now got affordable and flexible childcare. Uh, we spoke to people in looking at disability and looking at uh, elder care. We spoke to one young lady in, in Sydney who talked about the fact that she was a social worker, very experienced, uh, done a lot of, mm -hmm. lot of work. Uh, she spent a lot of time trying to get NDIS support for uh, her mother-in-law was unable to do so and basically was put in a position where uh, she had to take time off her own career to become a carer for her mother-in-law. It wasn't full-time, she had capacity to work, but she couldn't find a job that was flexible enough to allow her to work, flexible hours yes, that enabled her to, yeah. to care for her mother-in-law. And so she was very interested in, in what we were doing because it meant that she could not only provide care for her mother-in-law, but she could use that experience to provide care for other similar uh, clients uh, in her community and work the hours that suited her. And again, it gave her that economic and social dignity uh, to be able to do, to do that. So there's a few examples. In in a way, I'm putting my you know head around this. So you've got a an individual, a grandmother that's looking after her grandchild. And then on that street, there are four or five other grandmothers or grandfathers looking after a grandchild. Would the idea be that if one of them joins clan, then they would be able to look after that whole street worth? Or is that one aspect of it? Is it that someone that's already... I'm, I, what I'm trying to gather is, like, we've got an informal sector of someone that is unpaid at the moment and to be able yep. to get paid and qualified so that someone will want to pay them... This is a, a platform that enables them to do that, to advertise, to be able to say we're qualified, we're safe, and people that are like, I'm I'm on the margins here. I'm I could be working, but if I send my child to childcare, I'm only earning an extra hundred dollars a week. I may as well stay home. This gives them the incentive to say, you know, it's going to be much more worth my while as well as this person to say, I'm happy to get another child in the house or another two children in the house because I feel comfortable doing it. I'm trained now. I'm, I've got the safe house. Is that, is that what we're talking about? That's a good yeah. example of what we're talking about. So yeah. the grandparents, uh, she does the induction training. She has her house assessed. Okay. She knows it already, um, knows it's safe um, uh, and can offer that service to other families on that street. So it mightn't be five of the grandparents. It might be five of the parents. Uh. Um, who might use the opportunity to go back to work or who might um, say, well, it's much better to be able to walk down the street to drop them off and, mm. and then I, I go to work myself. Uh, so it's an accessibility issue. I don't have to drive for 45 minutes mm. to drop my child off. Uh, and I'm not going to be penalised if I'm half an hour late to pick them up. And there's mm. all of those other, mm. uh, other, other issues. And I don't have to book a solid two weeks in advance. I can just oh. book for the time that I need so that I... Or pay for them if they're yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So if I get a call in and I've got, you know, if I get a call on a Monday night that I have to be at work on, on Tuesday, uh, that's very short notice. So if you're able to access uh, family care in, conveniently in a short period of time, that gives you a lot of flexibility. 
Mm. Yeah, and on and on top of that, I guess if there is you you mentioned music or all these other um, potential skills that they'd be able to offer, if this person knows piano, then you can add that half an hour piano lesson within that care session, or you know have your own ways yeah. to to make it more viable and interesting and personal. Yeah people to do that and that that's for us it's going back to the village mentality you know yeah. you, children grow up and they learn different skills by uh, they used to grow up learning different skills by the other members of their village um so this brings that back a little so it's not just a standardized form of of care um it's care plus something that's special uh, and parents can select what that special need is um, or in special interest is uh, mm. that they might have. And they, they'll see all these, these special skills on their profiles when yeah. they look on the profiles yeah. of the carers. Yeah. So if you want your child to learn music, well, then why not put them into the carer that also teaches music? If mm. you want to learn a second language um, or learn English mm. um, or learn self-defence or learn to play sports. Um, you know, there's a lot of single mums that talk to us about the benefits of having a, a male role model. Uh, mm. So we'd like to see more male carers in the industry, yeah. um, that kids can benefit from having a male role model. Um, and, mm. and that can be achieved by putting them into the, a male family carer. It's incredible. It's building a village, isn't it? it, it it's that idea of people are getting out back into the workforce where they may have found that really difficult. You're encouraging people that may not have had much company other than their nephew, niece, granddaughter, grandson, whatever, and now that all of a sudden they've got more contacts, both the parents that they're supporting the child of as well as the kids themselves, they're able to maybe share their skill of cooking. You know, an Italian nonna or something, you know, is able to share how to do pizzas and pastas during the day. And instead of just cooking for themselves or wishing that they had someone to cook for, all of a sudden there's a, you know, three or four kids that they're actually engaging with and helping potentially or, as you said, someone that's into sport or just get to go to the shops with or whatever. You can you can mould all of this within it, couldn't you? Yes, and then yeah. not just for childcare but also for aged care and disability care. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of uh, these types of activities that are just equally important and it's building economic and social dignity for people providing as well as receiving informal care. Yeah, I think that one of the um, biggest problems I see is the, especially maybe in Melbourne, is the urban sprawl, how apart everyone is. And you might be, as you said, 45 minutes from somewhere because you're in a rural location, but you might even be not able to drive and all of a sudden you're in an estate and it's impossible to find your way out of there to anywhere with shops or work or anything and all of a sudden you've got someone in that community that can be that person it's exciting to be able to see this build and grow and and there's there's a purpose because the world it's increasingly divided and digital and and I mean digital in a in a negative way this is actually using a digital platform to to connect actually physically yeah. And with that human connection is going to be increasingly important. I mean, I think people have realised uh, just what isolation really means over the course of 2020 and the importance of human connection. Uh, and I think they've also realised the importance of the local community um, around them, mm. uh, which sustained and helped, helped many. Yeah. Yeah, they've yeah. finally got to know the neighbours, uh, finally yeah. got to know people around them um, because they didn't have anywhere else to go like they normally did. Yeah. And we see now, uh, with a lot of parents deciding to uh, continue working from home rather than go back to an office, and I mm. think that's a trend that's going to continue into the future, 
you'll see lots of examples like ourselves here. We're trying to work from home with a seven-year-old. Uh, luckily, she has her grandmother to look after her while we talk to you. But if she wasn't there, uh, you can just imagine how difficult it is working from home. So how good would it be just to bring in a family care? Because I, we know that we've got four hours of solid Zoom meetings. <laughs> so we bring in a family care for four hours to provide care plus learning uh, for, for Alice while we're doing our four hours of, of work. Now, those types of opportunities are great. I don't have to do it every day, but in the days that we do, we know we can get that help when we need it. For someone that would say, if my mother is willing to look after my child for free every day anyway, the purpose of this is to not only supply the, I guess, the dignity of the carer that's coming in, you know, with a bit of pay or, or I guess, acknowledgement for what they do, but the, is it only viable if there is that potential for them to become a carer to someone else too or or can it work with an existing system that you've got going or, or an agreement? Well, it's, it depends on whether or not money is changing hands. In a lot of cases it is, in some cases it isn't. Uh, so the way the platform is designed is that um, it's the grandmother. Well, one, by, by it formalises the arrangement between the grandmother and the, and the parent of the, of the child. Um, but the grandmother can continue doing it for free if, uh, if they wish. So, the, you know, she can still dictate when she's available um, and make herself available for her grandchild. And she, you know, she can offer a discount. So when the family books are not actually paying, you know, the expense for her services, she can discount it to her own family members or charge others. And she can get other children in. Yeah, that's how it works. But it gives her more control. It's just like it's, you know, I'm deciding when I'm available and, yeah. and you know, Everyone books me when I'm when I'm available. You don't just land on the doorstep and say here. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit more control and formality uh, with it. But I think families would appreciate that as well, because um, yeah, we felt ourselves whenever we used informal care. You know, you do feel that it, it, you're being a bit of a burden. Yeah, um, it can become messy. Yeah, you know, it can damage relationships. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there might be off days that the neighbour's just in a bad mood and doesn't want to do it. Mm. So uh, there's, there's all those benefits. It's it just gives the care. Yeah. Formalises it. Formalises it. And I think that works both for the grandparent as well as the parent and the child looking after. And it's safer. You, you mentioned insurance. You mentioned all of those training, little, little OH&S things that you wouldn't maybe have thought of in the past, even if there isn't that money changing hands, everything else sort of, I mean, it's the that ability, it formalises it, but it's also a safer, I guess, more transparent system even as well. It is. I mean, the grandparent learns how to use... Uh, other resources that can be yeah, used in other cases, start using it with their own. Makes her caring duties much more fun, yeah. much easier, and, and much more beneficial to the children. So she's she's building on her own knowledge and experience uh, as a parent themselves, uh, with some best practice stuff that's going on today. Um, so it gives them uh, greater capacity to care. So the focus has been on children a lot. That's I think started in 2017. Is that right? Where you you began. We spent a couple of years, we just went public with it last year in 2020. There was about two years of research and development and then getting the training programs um, finalised uh, was another period of time. Uh, but we just went public uh, last year. We're concentrating at the moment of building up a portfolio of, of carers. They become the product and then we assist in marketing them to the families in the areas in which they work. So at the moment we've got um, quite a few carers and a lot more families, but they're all scattered around, so they're, they're not close together. So they'll work out now uh, to get carers located more closely to families. So a bit of work to do to, to mm. get to that critical mass where we yeah. can finally begin um, 
booking and transacting with each other. And would the hope be that people are able to be qualified enough to be there for people with disabilities, for aged care and childcare? Would the idea hopefully be that all three or some carers are able to look after all three or, or is there a distinction between who you're after in those areas? You'll have to set up three different profiles. You could do that, um, but it would be a matter of juggling your calendars of each. Mm. So, you know, offering all three services could get complicated. But gosh, if, if you're on, on, if you can, if you want to do that, then then you're most welcome to. Yeah, in mean, future versions, we'll probably allow people to do one or yeah. more of, of the service options. At present, um, our family cares, because they're not certainly qualified, they're restricted to care for a maximum of three children to be uh, legally compliant. So they can't offer care for more. In Victoria. In Victoria, four, and you said one. And the others you have the other yeah, the other That's the informal care there. For the aged care and disability care, uh, if they don't have their full uh, set three qualification, uh, we limit people to just providing non-clinical support services. So helping people with shopping, helping people with various other non-clinical support tasks, mm-hmm. or companionship, whether it might be it might be pastoral care, it might be spiritual care. There's a range of terms that people actually want in their lives. Uh, but it is non-clinical. So with childcare then once they have certain three qualifications, um, we'll be setting up a series of what we call affiliated approved services. So these would be government regulated and approved providers and services that are looking for uh, new educators. So we can say to them, well, hey, we've got somebody here who's recently said to be qualified, they've got nine months of experience working on plan. Um, we'd like you to consider taking them on into your service as an educator, in which case then they can care for five to seven children, depending on age, just like any other regulated uh, educator can. And it's the same with um, uh, disability and elderly care. We want to encourage people to progress, get the qualification, and then get employment with an approved service uh, at the end of the day. We call it pathways to employment. So we're a stepping stone along the way. Mm. We're providing um, a much higher standard of informal care and creating pathways then for these people to become um, fully employed, if they wish, in that profession. Or they can just remain on the platform. As I say, with uh, some grandparents, um, they can earn up to $11,000 a year with affecting their pension, and there's no real incentive for them to do more, and they might be quite happy to just work 20 hours a week. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's fine. Um, the point is, is that they're creating opportunities and pathways. This this podcast is all about people that have aligned their values with their actions, and, and you've clearly created... A, a way to do that but there's a lot of people that listen and I guess the the purpose of creating this podcast was to find out how people can feel inspired I can be inspired to maybe you know you've got a hunch about something you know you say well wouldn't it be awesome if there was this sort of Airbnb for carers that existed or you know wouldn't it be awesome if the informal care you know sector was more formalized I guess you know and and you made it happen what was the I guess the emotional process the decision making process that you had to go through to to do that was it an extraordinarily difficult um first step was it really easy for you and and either way what do you think contributed to your own personalities towards and and ideas towards you know making it happen it is a good question 
question. I think part of it is um, life experience as well. As we get into our 50s, we suddenly discovered that um, we ourselves became less employable. It was harder and harder to find uh, a job. And that shouldn't be the case. You know, well, you know, we're not past our 50s, so why, you know, why is it so difficult for our age group to find work compared to people that are younger? And so in our minds, there needed to be new pathways to employment uh, for people in our age group and higher. Uh, mm. that, that was just something that we, yeah. we, we were impacted on ourselves and we felt compelled to try and help others like us um, uh, to, to find pathways back to employment. Um, secondly, we're, it was our experience as a parent of a then three-year-old yeah. and yeah. Um, also Amanda's experience caring for, for her mum and, and dad. And we looked at, um, we looked at you can talk about your father and what you felt about his care arrangements. It's not... In aged care? Yeah, in aged care. We, we've been through that. There were some aspects of it that are very good. There were others that um, didn't sit well with us. So... We've got uh, some personal experience with aged care, some personal experience with child care, and some personal experience with um, how difficult it is to find a job when you're 50-something plus. Uh, so all of those things kind of motivated us to try and do something that um, helped solve all those three problems. Yeah, I think it's that, that's a, an incredible, I guess, mindset to have to, to not just wallow in, uh, you know, it's why is it so difficult for us or why is that system so not as good as it could be or, or what, you know, that, that idea of agency is something that I speak about or, or, and guests speak about a lot on this is that everyone's got the ability to make changes in their own life as well as the world around them. And it's just about feeling, I guess, confident and comfortable to do that because many people think, well, the government's that way, big business is that way. I've got my lot and there's nothing that I can do mm. to change the, the, yeah. the way things are. But this is proof that, that I guess you can. That, that is... Anyone can do it. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really important lesson to learn, that mm. uh, you gotta, sometimes, sometimes there comes a point in your life where you've got to start thinking like an employee and start thinking like an employer um, mm. or an entrepreneur or someone that's going to create uh, jobs for people. But, you know, we, we, feel, we feel strongly about what it is that we're doing. You couldn't continue doing it if you didn't. If it was only about making money, you'd give up after a year because you're not making it. Um, this is a three- to five-year journey to get any uh, new business like this uh, up and running mm-hmm. and to get people to trust you. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on? It's been an interesting um, uh, conversation, Matthew. The walk on the beach is a story that we tell quite often. Um, it's one that um, you, you have to have a, a genuine purpose that's more than just making money or selling a piece mm. of tech. And it is, but it's interesting how easily it can change, how you can become persuaded otherwise. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you have to just reassess what it is that you that you set out to do. Yeah, you can be surrounded by a lot of people that provide guidance and, and so on, but. You know, I think fundamentally you have to go with your own feelings and your own values. That if something feels wrong, it probably is wrong. That's not something that you should be doing. When it feels right, uh, and particularly when you're in your 50s with a lot of life experience, you can tend to trust your gut a little bit more. And I could perhaps when I was 20. Uh, so you, you generally have a good feeling for something and it sits well with you. Uh, then you can continue persevering and pushing on uh, to and bring what you're doing to reality. 
on that note, my, my final question um, to to all guests on the podcast is the the name of the podcast, Moments of Clarity. And what I'd like to ask you is, have you had a moment of clarity recently that's, I guess, reaffirmed your belief in what you're doing or just in general, I guess COVID is a, a good platform to look at too, but is there a moment of clarity, both of you, that you'd like to share with us today? Okay, I think the first one was the, the walk on the beach moment where we got to realise that uh, the platform um, was built for a purpose, it's not the purpose itself. Uh, so that was a real moment of clarity for us. Um, and what life unit taught us about mm. the focus on family was mm. probably another moment of clarity that we had to really think hard about the helping the people that were set up to help. COVID certainly a, a moment of clarity, uh, reinforcing our beliefs in in home or home based care options and the need for them. But I guess the the, the conversations that we have every almost every day, uh, you get to speak to somebody. Uh, that gives you such a positive reaction that you can't help but feel, hey, we're doing something good here. We must be doing something good. We, we have to keep going with this. Um, yeah. you know, that, those positive affirmations, whether it's from mm-hmm. childcare, aged care, disability care, mm-hmm. uh, we're speaking to care, all three categories of carers and uh, we know there's a need for it. And those affirmations um, are really positive. People like it. It's quite a different way of thinking, though, so it will take a little while to get to adjust to that, that difference it is to, to you know, from working to, to running your own business. Yeah. Who can apply both as a someone to offer, you know, their services as a carer as well as someone that might need someone that they, you know, would like cared for? You know, who is it and then how do they go about doing it? Okay, well, basically anyone that is entitled to live and work in Australia uh, can become a carer. Uh, so if you're eligible to have an ABN, an Australian, Australian business member, if you can get one of those, um, then you're eligible to be a uh, family carer. <clears throat> and it's very easy to um, to apply. Just go to our platform, clan.com.au, C-L-A-N-N.com.au, and have a look at our platform. You can become a carer or find a carer. It's free to register an account. If you have the qualifications, it's free to set up your profile. Um, if you need some support to go through the induction program or, or get all the safety requirements, um, you can uh, purchase an induction package and um, uh, go through that process and you'll be guided to help get everything set up and you'll be properly trained and prepared to, to offer that service. Uh, families, um, families are welcome anywhere um, by setting up a family profile. Um, it only takes a couple of minutes, but it lets us know uh, where in Australia there's some demand for this type of care, and it allows us then to concentrate on finding carers in those locations. Uh, so even though we might not have a care immediately, uh, spending a few minutes to get set up will help us determine where we need to be looking at yeah. finding carers yeah. next. Uh, so we really would encourage um, all families that need flexible care in or out of their homes uh, to, to register a profile. And anyone that wants to supplement their household income, whether they're studying and want to earn money, whether they're a casual worker with some capacity to work extra hours. Or particularly the informal carers. Yeah, particularly the ones that are already providing this type yeah. of care. Mm-hmm. Uh, casual relief teachers that um, are underemployed at the moment that would like to do more helping children to um, 
come back from COVID. Um, welcome to uh, to do this. And again, it's the type of thing you don't have to make a full time decision right now. You can set up your profile. You can start your little business. And if you do manage to get a job, then you can just set your availability accordingly. Um, if it's part time, if it's casual, uh, if it's full time, you can just put it on hold um, or, or just do it out of hours. Um, so all those options are there. Um, we don't commit people to working minimum hours or for minimum rates. Um, our job is to really enable people to set up a small business that creates more economic dignity and also reduces risk of disadvantage. Thanks, Liam and Amanda. That was that was brilliant. What I what I really do love about this is that not only was it from the ground up, it was an idea that you know became what it is today, which which sounds amazing. But it also you know you talked about dignity, flexibility, but the personalised care and that idea of we're not remove, we're not going to these giant facilities where everyone feels like a number. Um, which it seems like yeah. more and more that's what's happening. You're, you're, we're going back to what it means to care for someone, literally care, the, the word care, not not to hold on to them, not to grab their money and put them in a room, but to care for someone. So I, I love what you're doing and um, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, I forgot to mention as well that uh, following us on Facebook, if you just go to Facebook and search for Clan Australia, uh, you'll find our page there. There's a lot of information on it. Uh, we'll be introducing our family carers as they come online. Um, and also we can give people updates on what we're doing and where we're working. Um, so we'd encourage people to follow that if they're interested in um, keeping abreast of what we're doing and where we're going. Great. And and we connected on LinkedIn as well uh, as, as a place to maybe get in contact with you two and, and connect and see what you're, you're doing as well. Yes, indeed. We have a page on LinkedIn as well, Plan Australia, so you can find us there too. Well, well spotted. <laughs> no, no, this has been brilliant. Thanks so much for that. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for If you enjoyed the conversation today, please subscribe, share with your friends and family, and leave a review. If you would like to contact me, provide feedback, or have access to someone you believe could be a great guest on the podcast, you can contact me on Instagram or Facebook at Moments of Clarity Podcast or on Twitter at BarneyMOC. You can also email me on momentsofclaritypodcast at gmail.com. My name is Barney and thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.